episode 73 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAg.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I are half asleep as we go golfing, questing, and on a walkabout with a wombat. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Always fun to join a wombat on a walkabout. Yeah. <laughs> Makes for interesting, especially with their square poop. You gotta watch out, you know, it's stepping that. It's a good uh, word of caution before the podcast gets going. <laughs> and so this week we're going to focus on the Apple TV and Apple's planned upcoming TV subscription service simply because it's 4th of July week. Happy 4th of July to anyone celebrating. And so there's not the most news going on. So we're just going to kind of go in-depth thoughts about a subject that's pretty interesting. And so... If you're aware of anything when it comes to TV, TV streaming is pretty much the hottest growth category there is with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and Crackle and all kinds of new potential entries. And so YouTube TV, YouTube Red. And so then there's also Apple's planned subscription service. And Apple's been investing a lot in different types of companies and production and all that good stuff so they have deals with steven spielberg for a show they just signed oprah on but then on the flip side amazon has a new 500 million to a billion dollar lord of the rings and then we know that netflix make a deal with barack obama and michelle obama and then netflix i think is spending seven billion dollars on original programming for this current calendar year so this is a very big investment category lots going on and Apple's starting way back you know they gave everybody like a lap or a couple lap head start and they're trying to play <laughs> catch up and that's essentially what we're going to focus on today yeah yeah I mean they they kind of rested on they had Apple TV everyone thought they were going to have some sort of a service and it's just taken so long they started out with that mediocre offerings of that app uh, basically like Shark Tank, but app developers. And then they had the Carpool Karaoke, uh, their original version of that, all buried behind the Apple Music subscription. You had to subscribe to Apple Music in order to watch this stuff. Meanwhile, yeah, you have companies like Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and now YouTube Red, which had the monster hit of Cobra Kai, Having all of these original programs, lots and lots of them, Netflix is absolutely insane with, I think they plan to release about 80 original films this year, and then they, I read one statistic that they're launching 700 shows this year, which equals two a day across like all the different categories, like kids, anime, cooking, comedy, drama, and so that's an insane amount of original content or just returning content they're releasing this year, that Apple, they're making huge deals, but they're still only going to have a limited amount of these shows, and we still don't have them as a service that has your networks, like all of these other networks. This is just their content that so far we know about. Whether they're going to enter the game where they bundle that in with being your provider for all of the other channels you normally watch, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Right. One of the most appealing aspects of Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon is that they have established shows from NBC or USA or TNT or you know Fox, whatever station it might be. They have different collections. Like Amazon has all these different HBO shows. Netflix has like The Office and Parks and Recs. And you just catch up on old stuff, get 
embedded in old stuff. And then there's the original programming to accent it. So is Apple just going to go with the original programming part? Because we know they're going to be behind those other companies. There's no way they're going to have 700 shows off the bat. And then Netflix in particular has already set, you know, they've put their feet down to make big strides. So it's a pop culture phenomenon with the release of Stranger Things or House of Cards or BoJack Horseman or whatever the show may be. They have these huge tent poles now and Apple doesn't have anything. We have no clue what they're going to come with, but they're going to have to create things all by themselves. And so it makes it really interesting how Apple's going to then pitch it to consumers because like you said they have the box but that's about all that they have so is it going to be something where if you have access to the apple tv app is it going to be free to watch certain shows are they going to bundle it like with apple music and newsstand and all that kind of stuff where you can just sign up for one subscription and get everything apple has to offer like they're currently doing but you know they're barely doing it so how many programs can they include in one bundle price along with the Apple Music that you're already paying for? Or is it going to be a new standalone service with like an eleven ninety nine price tag on par with the other services? So it's interesting to see what direction Apple's going to go. Right. I mean, and one of the big issues they also have is all of these other services, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, YouTube, they have apps available on all different platforms. You can play it on your Xbox. It's built in your TV. It's on, even my TiVo has it. All of these devices have access to these services. Is the only way you're going to be able to access the Apple service is if you purchase an Apple TV box, which that's not going to be a selling point for, for a number of people. They just want to use what they're used to. Give me another app I can just load on. Or give me an easy way that I have all my stuff there. I'm not in the Apple ecosystem. Give me a way to access your content. I'm not going out and buying an Apple TV and having yet another device attached to my TV. So they have to figure out a way around that. How are they going to start porting this to other platforms to allow people to access this content? Because that's going to be a big stumbling block right there. I can tell you that much. Uh, The other big problem they have is that... Do people want to pay, like, another monthly fee? Is there going to be a real tentpole show or multiple shows that are going to pull people in? CBS tried to do this with their new Star Trek series, which I don't think that was enough to pull in. Star Trek has a huge number of fans to pull people in to pay another whatever they're charging, $5.99, $6.99 a month just to access that stupid CBS All Access. So... They have to have a compelling reason for people to add yet another $9.99, $11.99 monthly fee to their already growing bill. I mean, people all wanted to have a la carte channel services. They were sick of cable companies. Well, now we're kind of getting it, and it's not so great because every company wants to have their own streaming service. And now do you keep on paying all these additional $9.99 fees a month to get this channel or this channel or this content and this content. At some point, you hit the breaking point and you say, I just can't afford all this stuff. Something's going to go. And with Apple being the last to the playground here, they have to have a reason for you to adopt it. And I don't know right now that there is one. Right, and it's not just reason. Like you were getting to its reasons because with all these other services... You know, you launch it up, and I'm with CBS as an example. 
it's a lot to pay for one show. But if you sign up for Netflix, you go through, I'm going to add Punisher to my list, and I see Jessica Jones and also Luke Cage, and in addition to the ones I already mentioned, and then there's all the original movies, existing movies. There's reason like, you know, Black Mirror, you sign up, and I have a bunch of stuff. I just added 20 things to my list to watch, oh, you know, for that month or for the next month. If you say, oh, Apple has this really cool show, are you really going to pay one service for one really cool show when the other services have, like, dozens of shows you can just easily count on, you know, to watch and enjoy? So that's a really tough part. Right. It's the type of thing, like, if Apple is only going to have one show, do I sign up for one month, binge that, and then quit? And so is it like, or do you wait for enough stuff to build up on their service to then sign up and you only sign up for a couple of months, you binge what's there and then you drop it. And I think that's what it's going to be unless you're someone who's already paying for Apple Music, then it's probably going to be a no brainer. I got, I have to imagine they, they're going to keep the price around the same because otherwise no one's going to sign up for this. So I don't even know what the ratio of Apple Music subscribers compared to other things like Spotify and and other competitors is. I gotta imagine it's mostly just people on Apple devices that are subscribing to this. But in order for Apple to be super successful, they really have to hit everyone. They have to hit the entire market and can't just go for Apple users. They have to go for everyone if they even want to break into this market and hold a share in the market. Right, because Apple Music, they currently, I think they just got to 40 million users, but Spotify has 71 million. And so that's because Spotify can be on so many different devices versus just iPhones and iPads and Apple TVs are signing up for Apple Music. But, you know, that's from a consumer perspective. From Apple's perspective, you're spending a lot on original content and you're just going to bundle it in with the Apple Music price of 9.99. How many more people are you going to get on top of that $40 Because those $40 million, you're not getting anything additional from them. They're already paying you $10 a month, so you're just going to give them video content? That's more like an Amazon strategy, and Amazon likes losing money in weird ways and then making it up in other <laughs> ways. <laughs> so that's not really an Apple strategy, because I understand that Apple wants to make this a reason to get into the Apple ecosystem, so maybe it's kind of included with the Apple TV app. You all get it from that TV app, and it's not even connected to Apple Music. Just it's a selling service of the Apple TV. And then that would take a lot of content because, for example, say you sign up for HBO when Game of Thrones is on and you watch that. How many people then are going to go watch a bunch of other HBO shows? Cause, or same example, say you just finished watching Westworld. What are you going to watch now? You know, you've already watched all Game of Thrones. You caught up on Westworld. Are you really going to dive into their other different shows or their older shows or anything like that? So HBO has amazing shows, but there's not that many. And so if Apple goes down that similar route, I don't know how much traction they're going to gain. But at least HBO has a history and has a lot of older shows that maybe you didn't see. And but, maybe I mean, Apple can build that up. Still, HBO has a set number of shows you know, you can count them pretty much on your hands. Like, there's some really good ones like The Wire and Sopranos and stuff like that. But if you already watched them when those were on, you know, how much are you going to get into? And then, like I said, Amazon has all those shows. So it makes it even tougher for HBO to stand out. And Apple's trying to stand out. And that's, I kind of think, what's tough. 
Right, right. And, and I mean, it, so you're thinking it's going to be a, a separate Apple TV service, separate from Apple Music, where you would pay a monthly fee, and then they would have to have a way for this Apple TV thing to run on other boxes, not just their Apple TV box. That's the best way to do it. I think what Apple's actually going to do is to have it only available on the Apple TV, iPhones, and iPads, and it might be free or not part of Apple Music. You know, where I have access to the Apple TV app so I can access all of Apple's programming. That kind of thing. Well, where if it's you a offer that point for free. Of the box. Right, but if you're offering that for free, now you're giving it away to more than the 40 million people well, that are actually What if you don't Apple... include iPhones and iPads? It's just available on the Apple TV. Well, then you're going to sell a bunch of these $100 devices, but then you have no other income coming to support those shows. But that's what so Apple's, that's not... that's Apple's basic thing. They make great software to sell the hardware. That's what they've done forever. Yeah, but I still don't see that being a way for them to sustain this over time. If they don't charge a monthly fee, they have to charge a monthly fee. I, I totally expect them to force you to use an Apple TV box and pay for Apple Music in order to subsidize this. And that's what I that's how I think they're rolling this out. And maybe it'll be like a an add-on for the video content, like another four dollars or five dollars a month on top of an Apple Music subscription to to get but, it. See, I don't know. Then it goes back to the thing you need a bunch of compelling video content to people consistently subscribe. Like HBO example, I'll sign up for a month, I'll watch something, and then maybe six months go by, I'll sign up for another month and watch something, rather than I had it for those entire six months. So that's kind of where Apple, I think, would trip up with an extra subscription service. So they have to bundle it somehow so you're not just getting it a few times to watch a specific show and then not have it. Right, and are they going to do the Netflix dump all the episodes at once method, or are they going to have them airing on like a weekly schedule to keep people subscribed for longer than than the one month where they can just binge it? Yeah. That's another question. The more we talk about it, I don't know how Apple's going to be able to... I I just think they should just abandon this whole plan at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I really hope they either find a way to get an app on multiple devices rather than forcing people to buy Apple TVs because I don't. I think that's doomed to fail that method. Uh, otherwise, if they can find a way to get it on multiple devices, and then I don't know if it's cheap enough, people might subscribe. But I'm just nervous about it because I don't think there's enough content there, but we still don't know. They have, they've only announced certain deals that they made and who knows, maybe some of these shows will cause people to sign up, but I think you're exactly right. People are going to be quitting and then signing back up, quitting and signing back up. And maybe that's enough for Apple, but I don't know. I wonder instead of deals where it's on like all kinds of TVs and stuff like that, Maybe they build upon what they talked about with iOS 12, you know, where they're going to have that direct connection with Time Warner for their boxes, like the actual cable boxes, rather than the Xboxes and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's how they're trying to find a way into people's homes. Oh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's I guess that's an option. I mean, you're still now limited to just the whatever partners they have uh, make the deals with for those. 
Yeah, but partners, I think, are the only way to get a hold in the market when you're starting so far back. Yeah. So that's the Apple TV. There's a lot of interesting questions, and I don't think Apple's going to answer them this fall. I don't think the service is ready for then. And so that pushes us to 2019, and then you're further and further behind. Every, every single day, essentially, that goes by, the other services are already fully ready to go, pushing stuff out making second and multiple seasons of shows that have already have an established user base and you're just sitting there doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, and it just giving people who maybe haven't even signed up for those other services. Now there's that much more content that if they do sign up for those other services, they can just hop in and get multiple seasons of shows and all kinds of content. So I, Apple really has to hurry up on this thing and get stuff out and figure this out. Yep. So that's the Apple TV. Apple has a lot to do, <laughs> and I don't think we're going to find out till next year. Yep. But we can find out about some new apps this week, because the App Store, it doesn't take a break. It doesn't care that it's 4th of July or the middle of summer or any of that kind of stuff. So we have a new app this week. It's called Paperbark. Apple has sorted it into their new game section rather than the new app section, but we know better. And it's actually more of an interactive storybook that focuses on this cute little wombat in the Australian outback. And essentially, you get to drag your finger across the screen to paint in the environment. And then you tap for the wombat to move to that point. And then there's subtle text and narration as you go, as you're moving about. And then there's also this little bit of hidden object idea where it's more of just like collect resources. The wombat wants to eat some flowers or find some beetles. So you just tap on a few things as the wombat's walking around and the storyline's progressing. Right, yeah. It's kind of set in a way that you can... You have some freedom of where you want to wander within this this area of the story. There are sections where you're forced to go one direction in order to hit the next trigger point to move the story along. But otherwise, you can explore with them. It's slow-paced, but it's it's meant that way. It's got beautiful music, and the the narration is very well done. And all of the imagery is all like these watercolors. So you see the, the scenery paint in front of you as you keep on exploring. So everything's kind of like whited out, and you can't really see what's ahead of you until you move into that section. Now, like the fog kind of lifts, and then you see it all paint in with the watercolors. And so you're kind of building this story as you go along. And they just gamified things by adding those little, they tell you how many of X of each of these things they want you to find. And I think that's supposed to increase replayability so you can go back and try to find all these items. And you can unlock stickers, which I think you can then use in iMessage. But otherwise, it's more about just following through the story. And it's it's interesting narrative and it's uh, it's well animated the there's some cute little things the wombat does but uh it's really an an interactive story with kind of a freedom of movement by the player yeah it is worth noting the game is absolutely beautiful there's an amazing 3d design and you just kind of want to paint in that watercolor idea just to see all that's included all the details the game or the app is definitely on the methodical side it's really slow moving when you get that wombat going until the next kind of activated storyline point. And for me, I just wish there was more text, more story. It seems really 
maybe too simplistic, even for younger audiences of how few, maybe not necessarily how little text there is, but how inoften it appears. Right. Yeah. I wish there was more. I saw this, I think two years back at PAX East and I saw a demo and it had this only a little bit of text and things in it. I thought it would be more flushed out the story. I think they're trying to allow you to explore some more, but it would be nice if there was more text and more story, or maybe they expanded the story with an update or something because it's relatively short. You can go through this. I think it only took me about a half an hour to go through the whole thing, maybe 40 minutes. Uh, but it's, it's not a terribly long story. And like you said, it takes a while before you hit that next trigger point, And maybe it's only a couple of sentences. And so it, I understand where they're trying to like not overwhelm you and trying to make it more family friendly and kids can just go through, but where it's all uh, read out to you by a narrator, kids don't even necessarily have to be able to read to enjoy this. And I just wish the story was a bit more detailed and, and longer. Yep. And so that's Paper Bark. It's three ninety nine and it's universal. And that means it's time for some games, actual true games. And the first one this week is Pokemon Quest. It's an official from the Pokemon Company. And it's essentially an RPG ver version of Pokemon mixed with Clicker. And if you remember our discussion about the Disney Battle Heroes game a few weeks ago, there's some similar vibes going on. As essentially, you get to start with one Pokemon, and then you'll collect others. Essentially, you get to make these little recipes, and then that brings in different Pokemon types. You add them. You have a team of three. You send them out. And they move automatically. They run forward, they find enemies, they fight the enemies, and all you get to do is tap special power buttons to activate special abilities of these Pokemons to help in the fight, but they do everything else by themselves. And if that sounds a lot like Disney Battle Heroes, it's because that's exactly what Disney Battle Heroes did, and it's not a it's not a good move, especially because it just makes the entire game so passive. Essentially it could be like Paper Bark, where you actually paper bark. You control the wombat more than you do the Pokemon in Pokemon <laughs> Quest. Yeah, yeah. This was a big disappointment for me. I, I like. I thought I saw Pokemon Quest. And I'm thinking, all right, they're doing like a cat quest type thing with Pokemon, and then you get to that first battle. Well, first you just start walking, and they automatically. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get to move around, explore, and try to find enemies to battle. And no, they just kind of walk right towards the enemies. I'm like, hey, we found someone to battle. And then yeah, it's exactly like you said. All you get to do is they'll start battling on their own, and then you get to just tap that little super power button once it recharges and then do a super move and otherwise you can go and like buff your your pokemon to add new stats to them you can unlock chests and add items and you can do stuff to level up your characters but the battling never gets any more complex than that you're basically just sitting there watching it unfold and it's just mindless i i was expecting a lot more especially once you put the pokemon name on it that i thought here's a game that people are going to really want to dig into and play a lot but no it's just so boring because you have nothing to do right the enemies become more powerful but your pokemon become more powerful and so those two aspects increase but the gameplay stays flat it's constant it never evolves it never changes so it's always the same thing of Watch your Pokemon Go do stuff, tap a couple times, 
win. And I don't know how long even the most diehard Pokemon fan can keep doing that. Well, I think people are going to play just so they can collect them all. But <laughs> other, other than that, like if it didn't have the Pokemon name on it, I don't think people would even give this as much time as they're probably going to give it just because of that addictive nature where they need to get every single one unlocked. Otherwise, I don't. It just I don't know why we keep seeing games like this because they're just boring. Like, do the people developing these games actually find these entertaining and fulfilling, or are they just trying to find a way to get in-app purchases and other money out of players that they don't even care if they have the most vanilla, bland experience that someone's going to play this. We're just putting it out there and someone's going to play it. We slapped a, a good IP on it, so it's definitely going to, people are going to download it. But, it, like, I just wish they spent more time of actually making these games fun. Doesn't it cost just as much to develop a boring game as it does an interesting game? That's One what thing. always gets me. <laughs> you still got to have that whole development cost, so you might as well make a more interesting game. Because even if you had, like, a little joystick to move your Pokemon around and kind of maybe go find them in the environment, it would give you something to do. But just being able to do nothing, like, even if you didn't tap the special moves, I have to imagine my Pokemon would still end up winning. Like, say I started the level, <laughs> set my iPad down, left, came back, I think I would have won the level. I haven't tried it, but I'm assuming I'm not actually aiding in the fight. I, I bet, yeah, there may be... Yeah, because even, like, even before I hit the special move, my guys don't seem to lose that much health. Right. I, I think there is a way where you can actually influence the direction of your Pokemon. I think it's on the bottom right. I, I believe there was that a little... That makes them dash away. In case, oh, is that what that yeah, does? like a big boss does a big, like, slamming ground pound or something. You can have oh, them okay. dash out of the way, but... But that's about your only interaction with this thing. And I, I don't know. It was My daughter was sitting there watching me play and she said, Oh, is this fun, Daddy? I'm like, no. No, it's not. This is really boring. I'm hoping it gets better. And then I continued to play a little bit longer. And no, it never got better. I did get three Pokemon now out on the field at once, which at least that was somewhat interesting. But other than that, you're still not doing anything with them. Yep. So, Pokemon Quest, Disney Battle Heroes, and Harry Potter Magical Mystery, they are all on fire. It's just amazing how you can make such boring games with popular IPs. I will say my daughters still love that Harry Potter thing, and now they just introduce pets in there. So, there's an audience for it if you're willing to wait for that one. That one I wouldn't put in the same class as this one, because at least you get to do stuff. Like, these others, you can't do anything. Yeah. It's just clicker boring. At least the other one, you actually get to do stuff. It's still a clicker, though. You essentially click the screen to burn energy. But True. I, get I guess. There's a little more variation. There's some little discussion dialogue versions and then some duels, but they're all clickers. Yeah. <laughs> There's even more appealing clickers, though. That, that's what's so sad. Like, Space Plan was a really good clicker. There's You can make yeah. clickers that are into compelling games. Yeah, even that other billionaire... Yeah, Bitcoin billionaire, that was fun. That, that was good. That was fun. But Pokemon Quest is not. So it's free, it's universal. And next up is Dreamwalker, which lets you essentially play as a little girl who is sleepwalking. And when you get any kind of, you know, nighttime or 
dream sequence, you can do all kinds of creative stuff with the levels. So that means this game has this kind of uh, perspective shift, Monument Valley idea, but with more of a action-based idea. So the pathway might spin 360 degrees or circle back on top of itself and all these kind of neat spiraling sequences. And all you have to do is tap the screen for the little girl to turn. And so you'll get to points where it's a 90 degree angle to turn. And then you'll get to more points where it's a quick zigzag switch back or go up on the side of this wall, collect these little butterflies and come down. But it all is reduced down to essentially a one-touch game because whether you're turning left or right, all you have to do is tap the screen. It's not like you have to tap on a specific side of the screen. Your little character will move or turn in the right direction. So it's a one-touch game, and so that doesn't sound the most appealing, but it is surprisingly engaging just the way the little girl moves faster as the level proceeds. And then it's also not endless. There's distinct checkpoints as well as endpoints, different levels, different environments to unlock. And so it gives you reason to kind of keep playing, coming back. And then it keeps you relatively engaged when they have those zigzag sequences as the little girl is almost running down the path. Yeah, so this one, I did like the, the visual aesthetic of it. And I did like how the levels were contained. And they had those nice checkpoints where those guys are cheering for you as you make it through. And you could see the progress at the bottom of, I got this much of this level left to go. But to me, I didn't but... find this game very engaging. <laughs> I didn't find it very engaging. I thought it was kind of like a slow version of Temple Run uh where you're just basically having to make turns and turn at the right time. I don't know. To me, I just didn't really care for it. Yeah, I, I could see that. And so I was leaning towards that as I'm playing it. And then it changed kind of in the last few minutes before we were recording in that you play through the entire game, you complete it. And then to unlock chapter two, you need to get five stars in chapter one. Well, each time you play, you pretty much only have one star in the course. So you have to play through an entire sequence again, but it's not the same sequence. It's a completely different sequence just on this chapter one environment and difficulty. And so that really gives you the incentive to replay. And I was surprised by that because at first glance, I'm like, oh, this is like some endless runner. <laughs> but to make it like that, even though you have the one touch, like I said, I was still relatively engaged because I was able to die a few times. It wasn't just kind of mindless going through the motions. Just the way it amps up, the timing of it, you have to realize that it's more, you have to press it when you're highlighted on the specific block. But as glowing as I possibly could be, it's still a one-touch game that could do a lot more where you either had a left and right tap, the sequences were a little bit tighter, quicker, and without that, it's you're right. <laughs> it's not as good as it could be. <laughs> I will say that there are secret parts of it where, especially when she does start speeding up, and then there are those tight like turns where she's going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, you do have to go quick. I do like how they highlight the box right under your feet so you know exactly when you need to tap, especially where you have that weird like isometric view of things where you may not necessarily be able to tell that you're on the right block yet. And so I do like that they really made it so that there's no guessing. Like, you know if you are if you should be making the turn or not. And so you don't have, like, these cheap deaths where you feel like, oh, man, I know I was on that block. No, if it's not lit up, you're not on that block. So 
I do like the way they put the game together. I just don't think it's a very fun game, but it is well made. Right. I think that's the best description because it's close. I think if they gave you a little bit more to do, a little... Because there's variation, but the path is always so linear. It's never, you know, really gets to that complexity or multiple different things to do. Like Temple Run, you have to swipe in the different directions. You can tilt your device. There's more things the player can do. With just that simple tap, it's kind of like those zigzag games where you have that array of blocks and you just go left, right, left, right all the way down the hill and try to stay in front of things falling behind you. So it's built on that kind of idea, those catch-up, simple, basic games, rather than building upon what it could be. Right, yep. And so that's Dreamwalker. It's free, it's universal. And so next up is Drolf, D-R-O-L-F, which is essentially drawing golf. So you get to draw a path on screen to guide the ball towards the hole. So essentially you add a wall. It's like a mini golf course where you got to put the own barriers to get that ball bouncing to the hole. And then the ball itself, a lot of these kind of arcade golf games, you know, you have to focus on the power of your shot. This game is just the trajectory. You drag out from the ball to aim it, and then you let it go. And then the ball essentially has perpetual motion and just goes until it either flies off screen or reaches the hole. And so it's a more of a kind of physics puzzle game or I guess just puzzle game, where you have to balance the trajectory and angle of the ricochet on the different pieces that you draw onto the screen. And then as you go through the 81 different levels, they're going to introduce new type of items, like maybe a propeller type of piece that you have to deal with, and just different kind of mini golf ideas into this idea where you get to put your own pieces to help the ball get to the hole. Right, and like in most of these games where you're like drawing elements on the on the screen, you have a limited amount of ink, so you can only draw a certain amount. You can't just keep drawing lines all over the place <laughs> and basically draw exact path for this thing to take. You have a limited amount of ink. You can do undos, and it'll undo each of the line segments that you drew, and then you can try again. Uh, and like you said, those other elements are like a magnet, which will suck the ball towards it, or a fan that will blow it away. And the one thing I did find with this game is you could pretty much always get it in even just one shot by making a big arc on the screen to basically have the ball hit this arc and curve around and then eventually make it. There are instances where the ball is kind of way off or blocked in its initial thing, so you do have to create multiple little paths, but as long as you somewhere include a giant arc, your odds are you're going to make the shot and it's going to go in. And so it was a little easy for my for my particular taste, but it does start to get more and more difficult as you start to add those elements. But there still is multiple holes, even those harder levels, where you, all you really have to do is draw that arc and you know it's going in. But it's still kind of fun in the puzzly aspect of figuring out exactly what you need to do to get this ball to where where it needs to go. They get a little bit more complex where the arc doesn't always work just because it will fly off screen. So essentially, you need that second kind of cup around the hole where you get the proper angle and then it can... Because since you have perpetual motion of the ball, you really don't have to worry about it flying past the hole or coming up short. You just have to kind of get it around that area and it almost sucks it in like a black hole. 
Right, and then if especially if you set up a couple barriers around the hole, it's going to bounce around a bunch and eventually hit it. And I had one where it was just bouncing forever and ever and ever. Then I decided to restart it, and then I wind out my little area, and then it made it in just fine. Uh, there is also an AR kit mode as well, which is kind of odd, and that will definitely add to the difficulty. It's all, it's weird because I think they set it up so you're like playing under a desk. Which is so there's like a whole desk that's there and you're kind of crouched underneath it, playing on the ground underneath the desk, which I don't really get, but it is. And it's kind of weird to see the walls kind of after you draw them, they kind of grow up in 3D style, which is kind of neat. But I wouldn't always play in that mode, but it was a kind of a neat little way to play the game. Uh, I still prefer it just straight on normal, but it, it's kind of cool they added that support. It seems a lot of the mini golf or golf type of games have added augmented reality. Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I mean, I guess it's kind of a natural fit because it's something easy where they can just put it on like the ground in front of you and you're just kind of hitting something straight. So it doesn't really matter if you are on a desktop or on the grass or something. It's You have that flat platform where you're always going to be playing. So... It kind of makes sense, I guess. And you would normally play outdoors. I don't yeah. know. I guess I see that fit. So if you do like any type of golf game where it's more puzzle-based, you get your own kind of direct impact, or any of those path-drawing games, Drolf is definitely appealing, though it might not be fully engaging through all 81 levels. Yeah, and if you don't want to pay the, I think it was $1.99 to remove all the ads, you'll see a lot of ads for Fishdom and mm -hmm. Gardenscape, I believe it's the other one, but mostly Fishdom, and you'll see the same ad over and over and over again, just so you know. Yeah, and then, is this the one where it popped up right after a certain number of mistakes or a number of restarts? It's after a certain number of balls. I think you have like 12 balls, and then it shows you an ad. Yeah. Uh, so you have a decent number of shots you can take and attempts you can take before it's going to show you an ad. Okay. And so that's Drolf. It's free. It's universal. And then to round out the week is Castle Pals, which is a interesting kind of old school retro inspired platformer where there's these two little kids and the it's somebody in Kaylee, right? Who's Owen. the guy? Owen. Owen. Okay. He had his whole other game. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, Owen's Odyssey? Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so, Owen and Kaylee. Owen has this little propeller hat, and so, in his levels, it's designed where you can just keep tapping the jump button to hover and just make it across gaps so there's bigger, either vertical climbs or horizontal passages to deal with. And then Kaylee has attack ability, so she can do, essentially, punches, spinning punch, or a kick punch, and those... Her levels have more enemies and shorter gaps to cover. So it alternates between Owen and Kaylee as you play through the different levels. And each level is relatively bite-sized. It's going to take you probably less than a minute. There's a whole speedrun aspect where you can get gold if you do that less than a minute. And then it just really focuses on the alternating nature of the two characters. So as soon as you kind of get into the rhythm of punching enemies, you're now into this whole different idea where you have to hover over these gaps where lasers are blasting at you, or rockets are blasting at you, and you have to time up that kind of propeller progression. So it's a fun little platformer game with a nice bit of variation. 
Yeah, it's an instant death, too. If you even yeah. hit one enemy, you're dead. So, yeah, I, I think her, her name is actually Kylie, but when you're switching back and forth between the two of them, that's the biggest thing that throws you off balance with the game because you go from one level where you have all this free floating and you're basically just trying to stay in the air the whole time and, and maybe land on a small little platform for a break while you're waiting for a fireball to go by and then do it but then when you switch to Kylie and you have to like really land next to things close enough that you can punch them but not so close that they're going to hit you before you can punch them it's a whole different strategy. So you're constantly going back and forth and back and forth that it throws you off balance that you can't really get used to one because the next level is totally different because it's that other character. So uh, I did find that kind of disconcerting, but at the same time, I do like it just because it does you're not relying on the save movements every single time. You are forced to think about it differently and then play that level, and then go back. But it does kind of keep you from really, like, just driving through the levels one ray after another after another because you do have to go into a different mindset as you switch to the next level. Right. It. I think, you know, if it, they said it where there's a group of levels for her and then a group of levels for him, it wouldn't have the same as that alternating juxtaposition. Right, exactly. I think it works because they do alternate every single time and you're not you don't they don't let you get comfortable. So you really have to just jump in and do it the new way the next time. Yep. And so if you're just a fan of any kind of platformers, it's just cute, really tight controls for the touch controls and just fast-paced fluid platformer action. Yep. And so that's Castle Pals, it's free, it's universal, and I know you wanted to talk about a couple digital board games. Yeah, so if you love digital board games like I do, then you're going to be happy because this past week there were a whole bunch that were released. So I'm just going to kind of rapid fire through these. So first of all, Akram Digital released an amazing digital port of the strategy board game Istanbul, where players are basically take on the roles of both merchants and their assistants, and you're in Istanbul's Grand Bazaar, and you're attempting to be more successful than the than your competitors. And so you're basically moving these discs around, but as you move around this, like, gridded platform of cards, you're leaving uh, your assistants behind. And then, so you have to collect them back again if you want to be able to continue making moves. Uh, it's really kind of deep and, and strategic. I have the the actual physical board game, but I've never played it, and I'm using this to kind of learn how to play the game because it's pretty deep. Uh, but it's still, it, like, it's still approachable. And the app has both online, cross-platform, synchronous, and asynchronous play. So it's a really well-made app. Akram has done other apps as well. Well-made app. Ne and that's six ninety nine Universal. Next up, Asmodee Digital, who makes a ton of digital board games, is back this week with Quarto, which is a two-player abstract strategy game where players are taking turns placing pieces, which the piece that you're placing was actually selected by the other player. So they're giving you the piece, but then you play it on this common shared gridded board, uh, which is 4x4, four four, and you're basically trying to be the first player to create a line of four pieces that share one like characteristic. So the pieces are all light or dark, they're round or square, they either have a hole in the top or they don't, 
and they're either short or tall. So you're trying to create a line of those items, four in a row, either vertically, horizontally, or diagonally, where one of those characteristics is the same across all four of those items. So you have to think about what piece you're giving the other player so they can't win, but at the same time, you're also trying to set it up so you can win. So there's a lot of like strategy going on as you're trying to figure out what pieces to give and then hoping they give you certain pieces and playing whatever you happen to be given. Really neat game. Uh, it also features online play, and like Asmodee Digital likes to do, they have a single-player campaign that kind of switches things up a bit. And what it is is a challenge mode where they set up certain layout of pieces and they give you a challenge of, like, you need to kind of beat this this person in your next move. Give them something that's going to end up letting you win. And so it's kind of a neat way to play it and kind of teach you strategies of the game by setting up these certain scenarios. And that, again, is universal, and it's $3.99. And then one final one I want to mention, because it just kind of came out of nowhere and kind of surprised me, is called Look Your Loot. And it's this clever little solitaire dungeon-crawling card game that comes from a brand-new developer, and you play as one of the several different mice heroes, and each of the different mice have their own kind of special ability, which changes up the gameplay a bit. And it's basically set up where you're moving around a grid of cards. You're moving your character around the grid of cards, kind of like Card Thief. If you think of how Card Thief was set up, it was a grid of cards, and you're basically attacking the card next to you or collecting it if it's uh, loot or some other good. And you have a health that's going up and down. You have shields you can pick up. You have other weapons that you can pick up that can fire other to cards that aren't right next to you or kind of buff your your attack ability and each time you beat one of these bosses they'll come out periodically you level up and those give you a choice between one of two rewards which could either be a buff for some stat to give you more health or maybe it's to give you a, a stronger attack or some like power up the the fireball when you pick it up so it's more powerful each time you pick up a power a fireball or it could be just some other item like a one-time use item like uh, something that can you can use to dash over to a shield so that way you don't get hurt and so it's just there's a lot of little strategies that kind of reveal themselves as you play and it was just a really neat free game that I definitely recommend checking out because it's one of these that kind of just quietly was released on the app store and I think it's going to do pretty well because it, there's a lot there and it just unassuming but definitely go check it out it's called look comma your loot and it's free and universal definitely like a game that is kind of like dungeon lot and card thief combined yeah yeah uh, it's it's and you're basically just trying to last as long as you can you're just going through level after level after level and i think that's everything for episode 73 yep that's all i got to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later